Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. I am saying that for the 100th time. Actually, I'm saying that for the 99th time because the first time wasn't welcome back to the podcast, but the other 98 times were. And we're reached, uh, we've reached episode 100 of our lovely little show. So to help me celebrate our milestone here is, as always, John Fisher. How's it going today, John? It goes well, except... If you're a member of the New Jersey Devils organization. Yeah, so I'm really hyped for our 100th episode, too. It's really exciting that we've gotten to talk about all these cool things going on in the Devils universe. There was a brief, um, you know, COVID-induced foray into Devils history where we got to talk about some of their past seasons where they experienced a lot of success and good times. Weren't those fun, John? Those <laughs> were fun. And we got we got the opportunity to watch a lot of older games to get a sense of, A, what those games were like, B, why those games mattered, like who stood out in those games. We even went outside our little realm of the New Jersey Devils and saw some the Riveters rock and games. The Rock and Rollers of RHI, which probably outdrew the Riveters. <laughs> Actually, that's not probably they did. Uh, but we did get a chance to expand the palette, so to speak, of our hockey watchability. And uh, we also had the good fortune of, well... Getting a season to talk about, because for a while, we did not know there were, if there yeah. would be a season. And I'm is. glad you say the word watchability, because watchability is something that we've been severely lacking for several seasons as Devils fans. And while uh, at oh, yeah. moments, you know, even the moments where they are more objectively watchable, they're generating more scoring chances, they're moving faster, uh, that result... Uh, that process has not led to a lot of positive results for the Devils, as watchability nope. has been... It, you know, it hit a local maximum in 2018 when Taylor Hall won the MVP, and it has just been on a downhill spiral from 2012 onward. Besides that little uptick there that we saw um, in the, you know, the Taylor Hall carried the Devils to a playoff spot season, and so watchability is a word that comes to mind when. You know, we talk about these last four games, and we didn't record uh, last week because we were waiting out to see what the Devils would do at the trade deadline. So our goal for today, the 100th episode, is we're not going to dwell on these embarrassing, disgusting, week-long display of putrid atrociousness that the Devils put forward against their greatest rival uh, while failing to deny them any progress towards a playoff spot. It's just lucky that the Bruins won all their games that week also to, uh, to, no to keep the Rangers at bay, but... <laughs> You know, the Tuesday and Thursday game were the Devils being shut out and looking very miserable during it. Um, the first game, more than the second, they looked like they had some chances to get back in it, but Shesterkin was on his head. And the second game, they put 16 shots on goal, none of them particularly threatening. And uh, two multiple goal blowouts on those games and on the weekend, again... Multiple goal leads allowed in the first period. They were down three nothing each time, or two nothing um, at least each time. Three nothing in the first game after 50 seconds into the second period. They mounted a comeback, but like many comebacks they've mounted this year, it was too little, too late. Or in the case of Sunday's game, it was uh, not too little. But it was almost too early as the Rangers got plenty of time to continue pouring goals into the Devil's net and any semblance of special teams. 
as this game, you know, this whole series represented the most frustrating parts of this team. It represented the most glaring errors that are occurring here. It's a lot of rookie mistakes, taking too long to get the puck out of your zone, bad play on special teams. And when I say bad, I mean potentially the worst special teams combination fielded by a single team since the salary cap era. Um, and yeah, it was just really a display and frustration. So I'm going to elect to kind of assume that everyone took the time to watch that misery. They were marquee rivalry games, but I'm just going to guess that everyone knows how those games went and knows how frustrating they were. And while we did see some flashes of good things, overall, it really represented how this season has gone. It was lapses. It was bad luck. It was bad decision making. It was bad special teams. It was four losses. It was the week of hate that became a week mm-hmm. to hate, as as you described so eloquently and in summary, virtually everything bad about the 2021 Devils was encompassed in those four games, whether it was not generating enough offense or generating offense well after you're down by two or three goals, to which at that point the other team just doesn't care in general. So, you know, go ahead and go mount a comeback because so what? Um and whatever good opportunities they had to make something of it, the Devils found a way to blow it. And we got to see some ineptness, not even just from the rookies, even though the New Jersey Devils now have a, a total of 10, 10 players, Dan, on entry-level mm-hmm. contracts. Um, so they're not technically all rookies. I mean, Jack Hughes is not a rookie, but most of them are officially rookies. And the point I'm trying to make here is that you still get to see PK Subban and Damon Severson completely fail utterly on two on ones against, whereas Matt Tennyson of all players demonstrated how to actually Mm -hmm. do so. And then in the following game, Tennyson decides piling Alexis Lafreniere into Blackwood after a bad goal by Blackwood was a smart thing to do. So I still don't like Tennyson, but anyways, we're not going to get into the details because as you just, as you summed up pretty well is that, Whatever has been bad about this team this season that we've lamented, that we've ranted, that we've been frustrated about, we saw it all in those four games. And as such, they all lost those games. The weekend games were obviously the better of the of the set. Um, you know, the scores look uglier, but that's because of empty net goals, making it look uglier than it actually was. Um, but, you know, when, when I saw Ryan Murray take the high stick. You just kind of knew, right? Man, and I just said to myself, not yeah. like this, not like this. And then when I saw McLeod in that stupid passive diamond, because God forbid you run the wedge plus one that's been successful for the last five seasons, Elaine Nazardine. Nope, we got to go to passive diamond. McLeod lazily reaches back towards uh, Zabanajad, and then he goes back to his his position in the passive diamond. And I just thought to myself, Zabanajad's going to be mm-hmm. open, isn't he? And lo and behold, he was. And lo and behold, when you leave the most important part of a 1-3-1, the slot wide open, it, it's going to cost you goals, Dan. And um, yeah, that's how the game that game was lost. And that was the Devils' best chance of getting anything in the series against our hated rivals. It was their best chance to get their first non-losing result since the last time we recorded mm-hmm. an episode. It was their best chance to get a win at home since... A long time. I, I Actually, April 2nd when they lost in overtime to Washington 2-1. to one. <laughs> It was their best chance to get their second win of the month. It is April 19th as we are mm-hmm. recording this, Daniel. And we have only seen one win. It wasn't in New Jersey, and it was against a team that is now just three points behind the Devils 
in the league standings. <sighs> Eat at Arby's? Oh, no. Arby's can't handle this type of crisis, yeah. <laughs> existentialist or otherwise. Well, so let's let's take this moment and take this 100th episode to kind of talk about, you know, catch up on the goings-on, because we waited until after the deadline and after the series to record, because we have a pretty good idea of where the devil stood organizationally um, after, you know, this series wrapped up. You might see some different matchups. Because it's the Rangers, you might see some players coming and going as they deal with the a fallout from the trade deadline and the moves they made, um, which since our last mm-hmm. recording involved pretty, you know, minor moves. There was one, um, they traded Kulikov, Dmitry Kulikov to Edmonton for a conditional fourth rounder that can become a third, which is not a bad return for a guy that they didn't expect to play as well as he did. Uh, they did trade one of their third round picks for Jonas Siegenthaler from Washington, who represents a 23-year-old defensive defenseman addition that has a timeline that aligns more with these uh, young whippersnappers, as we should say. And they also put Sammy Votnin on waivers where he was claimed by the Dallas Stars. Now, in addition to this, we talked about Tyce Thompson's NHL debut, but Marian Studenich made his NHL debut as well. He has also scored his first NHL goal. Uh, Nolan Foote made his NHL debut against the Rangers on Sunday and got his first NHL assist. And Alexander Holtz has just signed his entry-level contract. So they are shaping up and really developing the camp battles for next season with Palmieri gone, Zajac gone. The defensive core really looking different than how it started the season and uh, a lot of internal change. But let's check in with, you know, where this team stands. Because I think we can agree that this week was them at their absolute worst, Blackwood included. I would say the only player who didn't have his worst four games of the season maybe is anyone on Hughes's line and that's it. Yeah. It's Jack Hughes and his line that, I mean, Blackwood, I will still, I will die on my grave. Okay. Maybe that's a little harsh, but okay. Let me, let me reel it back. Maybe, maybe I don't want to die yet. I don't want to die yet, Dan. Not on the hundredth episode. Um, I will stubbornly argue on the internet there. That's a little Mm -hmm. more realistic and more honest of what will actually happen. I will stubbornly argue that the devil's goaltenders, and I I include Aaron Dell and Scott Wedgwood in this, is that they've been victimized more often than not. But that being said, Dan, Blackwood did give up a couple goals that he shouldn't have allowed. But, you know, in total, the devils were outscored, if I do the quick math in my head here, um, 18 to 6, Dan. Guess what? All 18 goals against were not Blackwood no. being bad, especially since Dell, a couple of them were empty netters and Dell played on Saturday. But the point, but you're right, Dan. Blackwood, the only way the Devils were going to get a result is if Blackwood played literally out of his mind like he did does against Boston. And that did not happen. And unfortunately, Hughes can and, and Sharon Govich and Kwakinen can only do so much. And damn, did they try their best to make it all happen. But, um, you know, when you only have one line that's consistently generating offense, um, it, it's a struggle. I will say there was one other player that did return that is worth of note. Um, I guess you can give him a slight pass. And that's the return of the captain, yep. Dan. Nico yeah, Heischer. Nico Heischer's back just as Jesper Brad and Pavel Zaka became too injured to play, which is really uh, a good way to sum up how this season has gone on the um, injury front for the Devils as well. But for the most part, they've been pretty fortunate outside of Heischer. Uh, injury-wise, so this mm-hmm. is just like a downturn oh, yeah. in terms of 
um, you know, injured players that they have right now. But yeah, he sure had a great game on Sunday. He scored another goal. Um, It looks like it takes him a few games to get back into it, which makes sense for a season that is very rapid fire. But um, he's the future. He's the captain. He is one of... I mean, at this point, he's one of the oldest players on the team, believe it or not, in terms of tenure with the Devils, which is crazy to think about. It's Severson and Wood are probably the highest up there. Um, And then how far do you have to go to get to Heischer? Not very far. I think you just have to go past Pavel Zaka and... um... I think you're almost right there. Now, to be fair, P.K. Subban and Andreas Janssen and Ryan Murray have been in the league yes. longer. But in terms of being with the New Jersey Devils, yeah, that's that's pretty much the the experienced crew, especially at forward, where uh, Johansson's literally the oldest man on, on among the forwards at age mm-hmm. 26. Um, you know, anybody who's going to comments or to Twitter or to Facebook or talking to their friends or their family members going, they got to play the kids. Well, guess what, everybody? The Devils have been playing the kids. They literally have yeah, they to play don't the have kids another they don't choice. Have any other players. <laughs> and, you know, even though we keep seeing Ben Street and Connor Carrick just being taxied back and forth from the taxi squad, nope, it, the Devils, if you want these younger players to get an opportunity, this is the season. I think the only guys that aren't going to get a chance are guys like Graham Clark, Arn Talvit, Talvitai, and um, I butchered that last name. I apologize to the. Penn State fans and the Finnish fans that listen to this podcast and Alexander Holtz because their deals don't even start until next season. Like they literally can't play for New Jersey right now. But don't be super shocked if uh, we see Fabian Zetterlund get an opportunity or we even get get to see one of the defensemen like uh, Nikita Akutyak or Kevin Ball even get a look for a game or two. Because at this point of the season, Dan, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because as i mentioned the devils are currently sitting 29th out of 31 teams in the league standings they have the worst home record in the league they are one eight and one in their last 10 games they're on a six game losing streak and buffalo is just three points back of them and buffalo is in 31st so yeah if you want the kids the kids are here plenty of kids no shortage of kids if you love young players, this is your team. Yeah, and uh, people like, you know, with Holtz, for example, coming over, they're looking to start him in Binghamton. I don't think they want to rush him for any yeah. reason. I think they definitely want no, him adjusted to North American ice before he competes for a spot in next year's training camp. I mean, Ochatuk has been up and down, but he just went from taxi squad back to Binghamton alongside Tyce Thompson. So it looks like Thompson got his brief little uh, NHL stint, and then the Devils want to see what else they have percolating there, especially with um, you know Bastion being back and kind of taking the spot that Ty- Thompson That's would right. take. Yeah, and Thompson, you know, case in point, you know, I'm glad they did that because one of the bigger concerns I have, at least for the remaining few weeks of this season, because we're actually near the end Mm -hmm. of the season, Dan, like May 10th is the Devils' last game of the season. That's not that far away Um, because April's literally ending next week, and then there's one more week in May, and then you end it against the Flyers, who will also have nothing to play for because the Flyers blew their Mm -hmm. season as well. Um, But... uh, You know, it's easy to say, oh, just give all the kids all the minutes and let them be done with it. But that's not good management. That's not good development. Um, Good development is identifying when players are not doing what you want them to do. If like they're demonstrating bad habits or if they're not contributing on the ice, then, you know, there needs to be consequences. And in the case of Tyce Thompson, he had a nice first game against Buffalo. And then he really was just kind of in over his head. Like it was clear that this guy is not 
ready for pro hockey at this level just yet. And that's fine. He doesn't need to be. That's the whole reason why you give guys opportunities. And if it doesn't work out, then, as you said, set him up for what should be an incredibly interesting mm-hmm. training camp in the fall this year. Because, my goodness, everybody's getting blooded over here. As as you noted, Marion Studenich is getting his first opportunity. Nolan Foote literally just got his first NHL game on Sunday. Um, and then, you know, with the expansion draft coming up, you know, some of these guys are going to get exposed. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting to see who's going to sign a deal ahead of the expansion draft and who the devils are going to try their best to uh, keep, um, keep within the organization with the rule set. That they well, so let's, let's start there because we're going to use this episode to kind of give a state of the franchise update. Now that, you know, in, in all, in all essence, this season has effectively ended for the devils. Um, right now they're, they're yeah. playing out the string and trying to see what talent they want to keep for next year, who they want to see more of. So let's talk about who they're going to be seeing more of. And let's start with who could potentially be exposed for the expansion draft. And uh, there's a lot of names that we've seen floating around on various lists. Like I too would appreciate it if Seattle did the devils a huge favor and took PK Subban off their hands. Um, but I don't think that's likely to happen. I think more likely yeah. is a name like uh, potential Miles Wood uh, or a Mike McLeod, for example, who have been floated in all kinds of circles. So who do you think is going to be? Because last time when we're talking Vegas, the Devils lost John Merrill. Uh, it wasn't a huge loss. Yeah. Merrill was not a huge contributor for the Vegas Golden Knights, but he has been a decent contributor elsewhere in his other stops uh, in the NHL so far. So who is going to be the casualty for the Devils this time around. And given that they've already made a trade that is with a team that is likely to be pressed with the expansion rules in the Siegenthaler trade, what kind of other um, you know deal could you see them making at the time of the expansion draft to give teams a bit of relief but also get something out of it? Right. And this is some I'm glad you brought that point up, Dan, because after the trade deadline, Tom Fitzgerald held a press conference, a remote press conference, of course, given these pandemic times. Um, He for whatever reason, because this the question was brought up about Seattle. And even though he did not have to bring this up, Tom Fitzgerald made a very specific point to say, I still have a retained salary spot open. So what that means is that when you make a trade, you're able to retain salary. However, you can only do that to up to three players. Like you can't just retain everybody's salary that you deal away. Now, the Devils use two of those slots on Zajac and Palmieri. They're taking 50% of the hit, and that's how the Islanders can afford to have them under mm-hmm. their cap. But Fitzgerald said, I still have a third spot open. I intentionally kept that spot open. So what that means is that, as you just said, is that I think Tom Fitzgerald is absolutely going to be paying attention to the Washington Capitals and other teams that are going to have a lot of tough decisions to make, either um, in terms of having too many players and not enough protection slots, or they're going to be so far up against the cap that the Devils can um, do somebody a favor and then, you know, basically take a bad contract and then trade them away somewhere else and then take the cap it. And we did see that at around the trade deadline with a couple of the three team deals that we have seen in the league. Not that there were a lot of them, but the big one was of course the David Savard trade that and that stuck him in Toronto. So, or was it Tampa Bay? It was a TT. Look, the point is, is that the devils can absolutely Savard use Tampa. this spot. Okay. Look, it's not in the East. It doesn't matter this season. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Toronto's so recall let's, was Foligno. Let's go back to, yeah. Okay. 
my mistake on the Columbus Blue Jackets yeah. they acquired. <laughs> In any case, let's go to the expansion draft. So here's the Devils' problem. The Devils have, okay, because they're following the same expansion rules that they did for Las Vegas, where every team has to expose two de- two forwards, one and one defenseman who are signed through this season. So they have to be signed for next season at a minimum. And they've met a game requirement. It's 27 games for this season or 54 games combined. Mm -hmm. So if you played 54 games last season or you played 54 between these two seasons and you're signed through next season, that means every team has to expose two forwards that meet those requirements and one defenseman that meets that requirements. And the Devils only have a handful of players at both positions that meet Mm -hmm. those requirements. So goaltending is easy. Blackwood is protected. Cormier is actually eligible because the rules are different for goaltenders. It's literally just who, you know, if you're an RFA for next season, you can I think it's folks. unlikely so, the Devils Evan, lose a goaltender in this. No, they're not going to lose Aaron Dell, Evan Cormier, or Scott Wedgwood. I think Vegas, I'm sorry, Seattle would be very too clever for their own better options. Just load up yeah. on goalies. Yeah, they, they, they'll find better options. The concern is obviously at the other positions. And this is a point I keep making to a lot of Devils fans because they I feel like a lot of Devils fans don't quite understand the situation. On defense, the decision is somewhat easy. The Devils have to expose one of the following three players. P.K. Subban, Damon Severson, or Will mm-hmm. Butcher. Damon Severson, for all of his warts, and oh boy, there are some warts there, he is, he is going to get protected. Like, he is literally the longest-tenured New Jersey Devil at this moment. His cap hit is not that bad. And when he actually is not making horrible mistakes, he's actually doing a lot of good things. You, I like to think a good coach can salvage Severson mm. a lot more. P.K. Subban has the odious cap hit. However, that odious cap hit becomes a lot less odious once the, um, the uh, buyout – I'm sorry, the signing bonus gets paid out for next season – because then he'll only get paid at a salary of $2 million, which means he's a future Ottawa well, and center. For a team okay, that is coming in with a complete blank slate, it's a quick way to get up to the ceiling, or to the floor, rather. That's true. If, if Seattle's having problems getting to this uh, cap floor, then Subban becomes a lot more attractive to them. But I think the guy they may want to target is the third man who it has who meets these requirements that can be exposed and would need to be exposed in order to meet the requirement is mm-hmm. Will Butcher. This is a man who has not earned Lindy Ruff's favor. He literally got his opportunity shortly after the trade deadline because, well, they had to. They trade, you know, Vatnin was picked up on waivers and Kulikov was traded. They literally needed to play a, a defenseman. And notably, Will Butcher did not play this weekend in place of Matt Tennyson. So that should tell you exactly how much the coaching staff feels of Will mm-hmm. Butcher's talents. So Will Butcher. I think is going to be the defensive casualty or potential casualty. And then there's the rest of the group, um, Connor Carrick, David Quenville, Josh Jacobs, Tennyson, Colton White, Colby Sissons. But let's be real. Seattle. Yeah, I guess they'd have to guys. protect Siegenthaler, huh? Uh, they could protect Siegenthaler. I mean, it would make sense. I mean, they literally acquired him on the basis of we think this guy is good and just needs more minutes. Um, I would be curious as to whether or not they decide to protect Ryan Murray or not. Um, he's a he's a pending UFA. I mean, he has to be ex- protected if Seattle doesn't want to yeah. just claim him. But that means Seattle would have to talk contract with him. And let's be real, no one's going to give him 4.6 million uh, accrued average value based on how he's been playing this season. Uh, good that Murray has been healthy. It's good that he's been healthy. That was always the big concern with him, but he has not played well. 
He has not played that very not that well, and definitely not in the last four games. Um, so I think Siegenthaler, Severson, and Subban may be the guys who are getting protected. Because say what you want about Subban, Ruff uses him a lot. And unless the Devils have a guy that's going to come in named Dougie Hamilton that's going to take all those minutes away from him, I, I think they're just going to keep him around and let him play out the contract and trade him at the trade deadline. I think that's the plan for Subban. I would do it before the season starts after that signing bonus is paid, but hey, mm-hmm. that's me. Then come the forwards, Dan, and oh boy, this is where things get spicy. <laughs> this is a lot of eligibility so have... issues. Not even like this is a tough choice. This is like, who do they even expose? <laughs> Correct, because remember, they have to expose two yep. forwards that are signed next season, and the Devils only have five forwards who are signed through this McLeod, season. McLeod, Bastion, Literally Wood, five. Nico Hughes? Oh. Nope. The, the, here's the five, Dan. It's Heischer, who was signed through 2027, and nope. he's not going anywhere. He's, he's <laughs> captain. He's he's good. Actually, We've seen on. captains traded before. Not at the age no, of 22. Definitely not. We've also never had a 22-year-old captain before. Now, if Heischer commits a crime, this is a yes. different story, but he has not no. committed a crime, so he's we're not going to go down that route. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jesper Bratt is also eligible, and he will almost undoubtedly be protected, and if he is not, I'm going to be the first to yell that Tom Fitzgerald should yep. be fired. And then comes this wonderful choice. Out of the following three players, two of these guys, as of right now, have to be exposed to meet the NHL's requirements. The easy one is Andreas Janssen. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, his underlying numbers have actually been pretty good, but, you know, every time I see this guy perform, he's just not contributing a whole lot. He's not creating a lot of shots. He's not taking a lot of shots himself. He's more of a passenger. I mean, Ruff and the coaching staff have been trying like hell to get the most out of him. We've seen Janssen on penalty kills for some reason. We've seen Janssen on the power play again for some reason. They're trying to give him opportunities, but nothing. Like it, it's one thing to not score goals, but he's not. Yeah, he's like he's not. He's enough possessing on the, the puck well and then basically doing nothing with it once he gets to the offensive zone. It's the story of, you know, he represents a lot of what the team has been so far in that. There's good flashes of five-on-five play, but it doesn't lead to anything particularly threatening, and there's a lot more visible moments of, oh, the puck hopped over his stick, or he flubbed this shot, or he's not not in the right spot, exactly. He's not back-checking, you know, this and that. And speaking of not back-checking, Dan, another player that would meet these requirements is Miles Wood. And I suggested that he, because the other choice is Pavel Zaka. Now, Zaka has, I think, reverted to his previous form of being a highly inconsistent player where you just want to wring his neck and go come on man we know you have tools Mm -hmm. use them and he's 24 like we're almost at the point of like this what you see is what you get out of the player and with miles wood he is exactly what you see is what you get if you want players to skate really fast in a straight line and occasionally with reckless abandon then miles wood is your guy if you need a guy that wants to play two-way hockey I will give Wood credit. He's he's looking to pass a little bit more. He's not just, you know, charging headstrong into traffic or into the goaltender or into the boards. Like, he's looking for plays more often. But, um, yeah, there, especially in these last four games, Wood has been a ghost way too many times. And I understand he's the leading goal scorer of the team right now, as is Zaka is the leading point scorer. But both of those are damning with faint praise. So, you know, between the two, I almost would prefer you protect Zaka mm-hmm. over Wood. But, you know, you can make an argument to say leave Zaka open and so almost almost dare Seattle to take Zaka on the notion of, hey, look, he's 24. His contract's not that bad. He's he's a pending RFA. 
you know, maybe you can figure out how to best use him because we certainly can't. And we've tried for six seasons. <laughs> so you're uh, saying they're protecting both McLeod and Bastion? Well, no, not necessarily. I'm saying out of those five, Dan, they oh, have to I see, expose I see, two I see. players. McLeod and Bastion could still be exposed. It's just that it wouldn't meet the gotcha, exposure gotcha, requirement gotcha, gotcha. that every team mm-hmm. has to follow. Because, again, you still only have seven. I think the Devils are absolutely going to go with seven, three, and one yep. for protection. I mean, there's no reason not to. And my personal thinking is he sure and brought our mortal locks to be protected. Um, I would absolutely keep Quokkanen and Sharangovich. I think they both have done more than enough to justify well, their uh, don't position. Don't people on ELCs not even qualify? No, because they're on ex- their ELCs are expiring. Oh, uh, I see. Because they. So they are eligible. It's guys who are on the ELC, but they it's not ending. So Jack Hughes, for example, mm-hmm. he's exempt because he has another year left. Jesper Bokfus has another year left. So he's pretty much exempt. most of the people Guy who made their debuts the... this year. Um, yep. Except for Studenich. His, his actually okay. ends this season. But um, he, I don't think Studenich is a threat yeah. to be taken away. Um, but yeah, I mean, just quickly looking at it, he sure brought Zaka, Kwakin, and Sharon Govich. And at that point, it's basically... Um, how you know you could still protect McLeod and Bastion, and you know you might lose Nick Merkley, you might lose. Um, that's it, unless you really like Brett Cini or Brandon Jignac or Ben Street. Well, I mean, so with all H. that in mind, like the, the pickings get slim once you pick protect seven well, forwards. Let's rest assured that the Devils will not be losing one of these core members that Fitzgerald keeps talking about, and that's the big area of concern for a lot of other teams that have a wealth of riches. So. Who could the Devils potentially target in, uh, you know, a deal that is in the best interest of that team looking to insulate themselves from the expansion process? And uh, we'll just kind of like leave the expansion draft on this note. But yeah, who's someone that you think the Devils could potentially target to alleviate uh, a cap strap team? Well, Dan, there is a team the Devils have made a trade, a couple trades with recently. They have a really ugly cap situation and a lot of a lot of players. They have a lot of players that they would need to protect and they're not going to be able to protect mm. all of them, especially the players they would want to. And that team, surprise, surprise, yep. is the Islanders. And not that there's a lot of great pickings here. I mean, you know, this team is an older team. It's a veteran team. But that's actually one of the things the Devils actually do need to target in this offseason coming up. And as much as I'm definitely a big believer of, you know, you don't want to have a team that's super old, especially if they're not good. But I definitely do believe that, you know, you can't just run with a forward core where everybody except for Andreas Janssen and Miles Wood are under the age of 25. Like you need players with some experience, with some skill sets, with a good mentality to so when those bad games happen, those rough nights where the ref seems to call everything against you and it seems unfair, or the other team gets away with things with impunity, or everything's just not going your way, having that older player to sit down with you and just say, Hey, you'll get through this. It's a bad night. Don't worry about it. Don't let it bother you tomorrow. Or better yet, having that older player to sit down with some of these younger players and say, This is what it takes to stick around in the NHL. You know, if you guys don't improve your work ethics, if you don't work hard in practice, if you don't do all these little things, then don't be surprised if you're get, your agent's calling you about teams in Europe in a couple of years. Like, you know, having a couple of those players on hand would really help this roster. And, I, and that's what, another reason why I'm disappointed with the 2021 Devils is that they did have those veterans. And as we've discussed on the show before, 
Um, a lot of those veterans have been playing well below their skill <laughs> sets and and what you would expect. Like a lot of these quote unquote rookie mistakes have come from the likes of Severson, Murray, Subban. Uh, we've lamented Palmieri for many shows. We've lamented Zajac for a couple shows. We've lamented uh, the performances of Vatnin a whole lot and even some bad games from Kolakov. And those are all older players, guys that you would expect would know better than to make some of the mistakes and have some of the performances mm. that they had. That being said, it wouldn't be the worst idea to look at the Islanders list and say, hey, who's available mm-hmm. on this list? Now, you have to be careful because Lou is very smart. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 um, Lou is very smart. Um, I, I'm sure he feels a little silly after Boston getting Taylor Hall for just a second round pick. But, you know, his mindset is always let's go for it because I'd rather be damned to do rather than damned mm-hmm. to don't. That's an actual quote from him, by the way. But I could look at this roster and say, you know what? You know, some of these guys are on some pretty rough deals here, but they're not they're not they're not on clauses. What, what's it going to take to bring over a player? What's going to bring over to bring over another asset? Um, you know, it's I'm not I'm not going to name a particular mm-hmm. name here. That's um, right. I was but, more looking um, for teams that know, they could potentially go after. I mean, yeah, the, but the Islanders are a definite target. I would definitely target Tampa yeah. Bay because they're just like miraculously. Under well, the using cap. some LTIR magic. A, in the same sense, you have oh goodness, St. Louis is somehow. Oh, St. Louis, my goodness, this is this is just a roster that's filled with a lot of weird contracts that are ending this season. But at the same time, you know, it could be an opportunity for the Devils to get somebody early on. I mean, as much as I don't like the type of player that he is, Mike Hoffman may not be the worst guy to bring in for a couple years since Palmieri is now gone and the Devils are still searching for those top six wingers that could hang, you know, hang at the NHL level for a season with Hughes mm-hmm. and Heischer. And Hoffman could be at least a nice stopgap until you either figure out if it's Holtz or if it's truly Sharon Govich and Kwakinen or if it's truly somebody else. Um, you know, you need those types of players. And, you know, you can make that move happen ahead of the expansion draft, ahead of free agency, and secure that before you start worrying about losing them out to, I don't know, our hated rivals. And, and Washington, the Devils just made a deal with them, but they're probably still looking for even more help. So they have a lot of players oh, yeah. uh, to keep track they of. They literally have no cast so right now. They have There's none. another team the Devils could potentially go after. But yeah, potentially, there's a lot that the Devils could do at the expansion draft. And it's, it puts them in a good position. But again, when are we going to see this all manifest into wins? When are we going to see... The version of the Devils that's been promised at the beginning of the rebuild. When are we going to see that all develop in a way that is meaningful and leads to winning games? It's hard to say, but I just want to take, uh, give you a crack at running down the Devils lineup for next year. What do you think that'll look like? Um, and you know, what should we expect in terms of players that we see coming out of training camp, players that we see coming over um, to the States to play uh, their first games for the AHL or NHL, you know, let's run down the lines and kind of take stock of where this team is at to see what they need to add and where going forward. So first line, who do you have? All right. Well, I think as of right Mm -hmm. now, you know, it's not ideal, but I would honestly say it's Hughes, Sharon Govich and Kwakinit only because we know it's a successful line and their underlying numbers. Again, it hasn't led to a lot of goals because, of course, 
you know, luck and puck luck has not been on the devil's side. But I'm a big believer, Dan, that if you want to score goals, you have to create offensive opportunities. You have to create shots. You're not going to score goals by not mm-hmm. shooting the puck. You're not going to score goals by not gaining the zone and fighting endlessly for pucks. And I get the criticism. Oh, Hughes loses the puck a lot. Yeah, and you notice he also wins a lot yeah, of pucks. Yeah, guys too. who lose the puck a That's lot exact- include Crosby, McKinnon, Matthews, yep. Tavares. Like, McDavid. Again, yeah. these are... St- Players that play center have the puck a lot. So, yes, they're going to lose it a lot more than a lot of other players. <laughs> exactly. It's the same It's the same logic of, like, how come Reggie Jackson sw- misses, you know, strikes out so much? Yeah, because How come Martin Brodeur has the job. most losses in the NHL? Yeah, because he played a bajillion <laughs> games and as such, he has the most Yes, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, but I think for now, that's your tentative mm-hmm. line. I don't know if I'd call him line one, maybe one A and one B. So who's one B? One B would be Heischer, Brat, and the and a and hopefully a free agent left yep. winger. Um, I wouldn't be super shocked if they honestly considered Alexander Holtz. I'm sure he'll get a look in camp for this throw type Zaka of role. On the wing. I wouldn't be surprised. You could throw Zaka on the wing, which might be the best option for Zaka at this point, since I'm super not convinced of him as mm-hmm. a center. Um, I still think Zaka is better in the bottom part of the lineup, but I think as a stopgap, if my options are, you know, Miles Wood and Pavel Zaka, it's I'm taking Zaka. Um, I might try other players like, uh, you know, Maltsev. I might try. um, But again, I think, you know, Holtz and especially and well, Graham Clark plays right wing, but you can move you can move broad over to the left wing and you can possibly try out Clark Mm -hmm. at right wing. That is another possibility. But all things, all things being equal, um, I think those are going to be your opportunities. But I really do think if the Devils need to bring in a big free agent, um, if it's not a defenseman, make it a left winger because they they could use some. Bottom and then six. your bottom two line, bottom six is going to be okay. So, all right, Wood is definitely going to be involved. Zach is going to be involved. If Johans and, and 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 assuming none of these guys get claimed by Seattle, uh, Janssen's probably going to be mm-hmm. on there too. I wouldn't be super shocked if you see a Janssen Zaka wood line. It, I don't I don't want to see a line like that, but I wouldldn't be super and shocked. And in case by you it. think we're forgetting about him, this third line center, at least while we have the first two guys that we talked about at center, this is the Dawson Mercer slot. This is where we'd want to see him. That's right. And that's gonna be another wild card for this offseason because Mercer the QMGHL season mm-hmm. just ended. And Mercer played very well in extenuating circumstances. I appreciate that the QMJHL got a season off uh, credit to them for making it happen. And Mercer, you know, was very productive at his level. He showed a lot of good things at that level. I would not be super shocked if the devils bring him into camp and he's on an ELC. Yeah, they can do that. He's junior based. They don't have to, this is not college. He doesn't have to, you know, he can go back if, if necessary, like Ty Smith a, a season or two ago. But I would not be shocked if they brought him in just to see, are you ready now? And if the answer is yes, let him roll. If the answer is no, then you send him back to junior for another year and then work yeah, it out Yeah, Ty Smith but, had the age uh, eligibility requirement, which kept him in the WHL yeah. another year. But clearly that extra year did not do irreparable harm to his game to the point where no, he's it, still it, it, one of the devil's no. most productive um, players overall, not just rookies. Yeah. And, you know, the five on five stuff, you know, I would say, you know, it's how do I put this politely here? 
He's not making he he's not making as many rookie errors as the veterans mm. on the blue line have That's been making. Fair. Like I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say Ty Smith has been amazing. Like he's not you know Adam Fox of New Jersey or the next Kale McCarr or the next Quinn Hughes, but he's doing very well for himself on a really bad not hockey yet, John. Team. Not and, yet. He's not those guys. <laughs> okay. Well, the point is is that when he's on the ice, the Devils are attacking, and when he's on the ice. You know, the opposition is not killing the Devils, which, you know, already that's a big improvement over a lot of other defensemen and a lot of other players that we could discuss on the team. So credit to Smith. But yeah, you know, Mercer, he is 19 years old. He's going to turn 20 on October 27th. So if I recall the AHL rules correctly, he might actually be Binghamton eligible next season. And that or actually let me go on a quick aside mm-hmm. here, Dan. We got some depressing news oh, out of yes. Binghamton uh, this this weekend. It was revealed that the Devils are no longer going to be in Binghamton. Yeah, they the Binghamton uh, local people have reported that they're out. They're leaving a season early on their deal in Binghamton, and apparently the Utica team that currently has the Comets, which is Vancouver's affiliate in the AHL, they have already registered a trademark called the mm-hmm. Utica Devils. So I think all signs are pointing to the Devils moving their AHL team mm-hmm. to Utica. I'm not privy to the reasoning behind that, but um, no, I'm sure that we can hear more from our Binghamton correspondents. We'll get them in here one of these days just to talk about the state of that team, too. But anyway, let's focus on the uh, filling out the bottom half of this lineup. And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Sorry. I, I kind of dragged. It's OK. On we so, have yeah. that third um, line spot, which, you know, will eventually hopefully be Mercer's. But for now is going to be kind of kicked around. And then that fourth line has seen some measure of success with the McLeod, Bastion, Maltsev combination. Yeah, I mean, I know Wood was playing with them and they had some fine games back in January. They were reunited this past weekend and, um, well, I mean, McLeod scored a goal, but their run of play and in general, they just were not doing a whole lot, especially on Mm -hmm. Sunday. Um, But I do think that McLeod and Bastion are definite solid fine guys for the fourth line. And I think Maltsev, he really needs to work on his shot, Dan. Like if he can get if he can figure out the shot, I think he he's going to be in the NHL for a couple seasons, which is good. You know, that's that's good value for anybody who's picked, especially somebody who was picked in the fourth round, you know, back in 2016, which is mm. five years ago. Um, you know, so, you know, he, if he can work on his shot um, and, you know, continue honing his um, game in the NHL in general, I think he could definitely acquit himself fine as a fourth line or even occasionally a third line winger. So that's fine. And and McLeod and Bastion, McLeod has shown that he can kill penalties despite how bad he has performed in the AHL. He has actually performed decently here. I think enough to say that, yeah, he, he belongs in this league more so than like Brett Sini or Ben street or, um, you know, some of the other AHL veterans that you see tossed around from season to season, from team to team. So I think McLeod is safe and Bastion has acquitted himself quite well to work well with McLeod and to play on the fourth line to be that energy guy and, you know, without being necessarily a wreck. And then I think you're going to see a lot of competition about some of the guys that we did not mention among this 12 that I've arbitrarily named right now, like Mm -hmm. Nolan Foote, Jesper Boakvist, Nick Merkley, um, you know, and then, Tice Thompson, you know, who also got it. I'm sure Fabian Zetterlund might get an outside shot, shot of this. I'm sure Arne Talvit, Talvitai will get an opportunity to this. And I already mentioned Clark and Holt. So, you know, and, and then that's not even consider, not even considering UFAs, Dan, not even considering who they're going to draft, not even considering 
what other deals are going to be made, you know, from now until, or rather in the off season mm-hmm. upcoming, we, we don't know, you know, who else is going to be added to this team. I really do think this team needs some, at least two veteran forwards just to strengthen things. And if that means Maltsev or, or, or Zaka or maybe not Zaka, but someone like McLeod, you know, is not a regular player. They're like the 14th or 15th forward, you know, or the 13th forward, I should say. I, I would be fine with that just because I really don't think you can go into this coming this next season with just the same group of young guys. But it does speak to how many forwards are in the system that training camp literally could have 18 guys fighting mm-hmm. for 12 spots. Yeah, it's it's exciting to know that there's so many young players on the horizon for the Devils. I mean, it, it's true more of the offense than the defense as the defense still boasts a significant higher percentage of veterans compared to the offense. Um, you know, right. we, we have a lot of players on the defense right now that will likely not remain with the team um, through the next year or two, uh, just keeping Murray and um, Subban in mind. I mean, Murray would be... Well, he's a pending UFA. I, I think, think he, he walks, walks, yeah. I think he parlays this decent year into something on somewhat of a contender. But the Devils for the defensive end can bring up Jacobs. They can bring up uh, Kevin Ball, who would be the ideal result. Eventually at some point, Shakir Mukamadulin will um, be in consideration for one of these spots as well. You talked about Will Butcher already, and we'll see, you know, if he's able to adjust to the system and be allowed to adjust to the system. I mean, there was a log jam, no question with all the veteran defensemen the devils had, but now that it's kind of alleviated, where does Butcher stand in all this, assuming he doesn't go to Seattle? What's his outlook going to be? What's what are they going to do with Carrick? Probably nothing. I mean, it's just trending that most of their defense yeah, will be around so. Ty Smith. Yeah. Ty Smith is definitely the future. Um, Severson and Subban, if Subban is not picked up by Seattle and if he's not dealt away in the offseason, you know, he's definitely in the lineup, like for sure. I Siegenthaler is is interesting because his his deal ends on an RFA after mm-hmm. this season. The Devils literally brought him in to say, we think this guy is good and deserves a chance to play. So in a sense, you could argue these next few weeks are his tryout weeks. You know, if he if he does decently well, I'm sure they'll give him a nice little contract, maybe a little salary boost since he's only making $800,000 right now. Um, you know, I could almost pencil him in for next season. I think he gets a mm-hmm. new deal and, and, you know, but yeah, this is another area where if the devils want to go big and given that a number of fans are upset at the, you know, the lack of cap space being used since this may shock you, but cap space doesn't play defense mm-hmm. or score goals. Uh, <laughs> it's that uh, going out and if they want to go out and spend big on Dougie Hamilton, this is probably the time mm-hmm. to do it uh, because they can probably fit him in. And yeah, this, the sell job is going to be interesting to say, Hey man, I know you're coming to an organization that's trying to figure out how to win hockey games, but we can give you a lot more money. than. I you mean, you're basically going to be paid a salary uh, to play hockey the and then a babysitting fee on top of it. Pretty much. Um, yeah. And then with butcher, you know, he does have another season on his deal, but the fact that he's not playing right now, and unless the devils decide to change all the coaches and, as much as I would think that Mark Recchi needs to not be a power play, not be in charge of the power play, and Nazarene probably mm-hmm. should go, um, you know, I, I think Ruff stays. And unless Butcher does something in the next three weeks to change his mind, I think Butcher is pretty much like he's gonna he's, he's trade bait. Like he's just gonna be thrown away, dealt away at some point, and um, you know they'll just move on, and that'll open up a door either for 
another free agent defenseman to be signed, even if it's not Dougie Hamilton, but to offer to the ball a Kotyuk, maybe Riley Walsh if we, well, I, I think he needs another year at least. But yeah, the defense, the non-roster defense is, um, you know, those three guys are pretty much the only guys with a strong future, unless you're the world's biggest Michael Vukajevic fan, or you're willing to wait until after next season for Muka Madulin to finish up his time with mm-hmm. Ufa. So definitely def- uh, lots of room to expand upon for this team. That is, at the end of the day, I want to just kind of bring this to a close here and say that what we've seen this season is an anomaly in a lot of ways. And a lot of the things we are looking for this season was progress among the most important rookie players and along the most important young players for the team that are meant to be the core. We've gotten that from Ty Smith. We've gotten that from Jack Hughes. Even in the flashes of games where he's been back, Nico Heischer looks like he is at the level he was at before the injuries. And so that is an important thing for New Jersey. So, the combination of factors this season in the team getting a COVID outbreak in them playing a very difficult schedule among probably one of the harder divisions in the sport and also doing that three game or four games in six days for about two months straight could not have been easy on a bunch of guys who are making their league debut. There's a lot of rookie errors to work out. There's a lot of rookie jitters to work out, a lot of decision-making that'll become better with experience. The coaches have not worked with the same personnel all year. And to add all that, you have the insult to injury of the Devils having maybe some of the worst luck that they've ever had um, in terms of a franchise season, in terms of their shooting percentage, in terms of you know, any other um, PDO you want to look at, but also they're having a season in which their special teams are all players that are pretty much not used to the league or not used to playing with each other. And so it has been a ridiculous disaster, but moving forward, at least they know concretely which areas they have to address. At least they know what they have to fix. At least there's not this vague middling thing where they can say, well, we don't believe in the future of this core. No, they very much believe in the future of this core, and the core has given them reason to justifiably believe that. Now it's about supplementing them. Now it's about giving them the tools to develop and succeed, and hopefully, you know, as the young players keep all maturing and improving together, I mean, an impressive part of this lineup has been built through the draft, which is something that we rarely see from the likes of the New Jersey Devils. So it's exciting to see a lot of these late Shiro picks even manifesting for New Jersey. So it, it remains to be seen, you know, just how just how long it takes for all that to come together. But in terms of the signs we want to see from the people we want to see them from, even people like Sharon Govich, Kwokken, and um, McLeod, they've all shown improvements that say to at least me, you know, watching all these games, yeah, with a little bit more experience, these guys are going to have a decent time in the NHL. Yeah, and again, to your point, Dan, you know, the flaws of this team, there's there's not a lot of wishy-washiness here. The power play needs to be better. It just needs to be better. Like, if you want to fire a recce over it, it's totally justifiable. The penalty kill has to be better. It just has to be. Yes, we saw some legitimate improvements in March, but guess what? It's still 31st out of 31, and it's been costing the team games as recently as... And in any other year, they're not going to lose 80% of their home games. This is a weird, anomalous thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's just something that makes literally no sense, especially since the Devils, uh, of course, with the week of hate, now it's 500, but they were... At one point, they were a top 10 team on the road in Mm -hmm. terms of records. Like, it makes literally no sense 
for a young team with an experienced head coach that somehow having the last change means L's all over the place. But yeah, there, there's a lot of the things that need to be fixed are very apparent. They absolutely need to figure out who is going to be the top six wingers to ride with Heischer and ride with Hughes. Uh, you could argue this was Shero's big failing was he had an opportunity to build the core, but he didn't build enough of the core and didn't find the right supplemental players. And if you want an example of how to find the right supplement supplement, how to find the right supplemental players, ironically, you need to look to Shero's former team in Pittsburgh, who spits out players who you've never heard of. And then they just show up with 15 goals and 30 assists. And it's like, yeah, they fit our system yep. perfectly. That's what the devils need to sort out is how do they want to play this game? How do they want to run their special teams and then find the players that fit them? And if that means signing a bunch of 33 year olds to do that, then you sign a bunch of 33 year olds to do that because you have the youth to build on with those guys. You know, that's what it's going to take to become a more competitive team. And for Tom Fitzgerald's sake, I would like to think that the the ask is going to be you need to do a hell of a lot better than a team that's just three points ahead of Buffalo as we're we're talking Mm -hmm. right now. And hopefully they do stave off Buffalo for the sake of um, avoiding embarrassment. Oh, yeah. But in, in, for the yeah. sake of improving their pick, maybe it's not the worst thing to stave off Buffalo. But again, uh, Sherman Abrams, unfortunately, is back in the organization. With this, he has returned from his vacation in Western yeah, with, New York. Yeah, with this draft, though, it's really hard to tell what position is going to be the most valuable. I mean, with the amount of scouting that was possible this year with the changes um you know another team coming in to potentially upset that balance as well it remains to be seen what you know what having the first overall or fourth overall or sixth overall would mean this year but any like in any manner their odds have been very steadily improving over the last couple weeks as they rattled off this stretch of futility but Hopefully they bounce back. They finish the season strong now that they're not playing the Rangers anymore or the Washington Capitals. Um, And again, they won their first two games this year against the Rangers, then lost the next six. So it's relieving to be done with that matchup as well. And so they'll look to act as more of a spoiler for some other teams in the playoff hunt, namely the Boston Bruins. Um, But otherwise, Mm -hmm. mostly meaningless games coming down the stretch, which means it's time for the players to show who's going to stick around and help usher in truly, truly, truly this time, the new era of Devils hockey. Yeah, and one of the things about this, and even though the Devils are obviously not going to go to the postseason, just like our hated rivals are not going to go to the postseason and the second-rate rivals are not going to the postseason, is that the thing about playoff hockey, Dan, is that you don't get paid extra Mm -hmm. during it. Like, your contract is paid out over the course of the season. So playoff hockey is literally, you know, it's not a cliche. It's literally... How badly do you want this? It almost reveals your character. Like, okay, the contracts are sorted out. Now we're playing for a trophy. What do you got? You know, what can you do? And that's why you see players. And players aren't stupid. They know that if they do well there, they will get paid later down the line. Like, rewards will come in some way or form. Ideally in the form of a trophy. uh, The greatest trophy in sports, of course. Mm -hmm. Stanley Cup. And if not, a big fat contract because they balled out or pucked out or whatever the hockey equivalent of balling out is in the postseason. And to that end, you know, these few weeks are essentially that for this young roster, because if I'm someone like, say, Nolan Foote, you know, yeah, he'd only did one good thing, one notable thing on Sunday, but it led yep. to a goal, Dan. If Nolan Foote can stick in this lineup for a couple of games and let's say this week where the Devils are in literally in Pittsburgh for the remainder of this week, they play Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday uh, afternoon in Pittsburgh. If Nolan Foote in these three games plays really well in those three games, 
all of a sudden that training camp conversation goes from foot's going to be fighting for a spot in camp to guys are going to be trying to fight to unseat foot for a mm-hmm. spot in camp. Like these are the games where if you're a guy who's could potentially be on the margins of a roster spot for next season, you know, and this definitely applies to the Nolan foots, the Nick Merkley's, uh, even the Bastion and the, and the McLeods of the team and Maltsev. Uh, student each as well. I just rattled off six players, but these games are hugely important to leave a lasting impression on a coaching staff and a general manager who will undoubtedly pick next season's team and help make deciding, uh, help making signings based on what they have seen down the stretch. So this is their time to impress. And yeah, the games don't mean anything unless the devils just want to spoil Pittsburgh and make it rain misery on Philadelphia and um, ruin Boston's and the Islanders' playoff positioning. You know, that's basically all they can play for. But for those players, they have something to play for personally um, for their own cause in next season and beyond. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's been our time on episode number 100. Thank you for joining us for uh, this one. We really appreciate, uh, you know, all the listens, all the interaction. It's been so much fun and we're going to keep doing it because uh, I see no reason to hesitate yet. So um, again, we just really appreciate the community that we've built up around, um, you know, all about the Jersey uh, regarding the podcast as well. We really love hearing from the fans and hearing what you guys have to say, because just like us, you've been watching them the same way all season. You've been, you know, seeing the uh, the team kind of morph and change and develop as the season goes on. So it's always nice to get that level of feedback and to interact with people who care as much as we do about the fate of our New Jersey Devils. So all that being said, John, anything else to add? Well, to, to your point, that is why I call all of the Devil fans the people who matter, because mm-hmm. you do matter. And we appreciate that you take the time out of your busy schedules on an internet where you can literally have all sorts of entertainment, distract yourself in many ways, but you choose to spend some of your time and attention with us. And we thank you for that. We just wish we could make the devils better for you because Lord knows I want to make the devils better for everyone, for all the people who matter. We deserve better, but unfortunately we have to live with the life that we're dealt with and not the life that we want. (laughs) With all that being said, Thank you again. Let's go Devils, and we'll see you back here at the end of the week. 